0: Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18. Actually, I'll start at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought... worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I've mentioned it over the years a number of times from the pulpit in sermon illustrations like I'm going to do tonight. That one of the things I really enjoyed doing with my dad growing up was going pheasant hunting. And we did it usually every winter, two or three different times. Uh, they had German short-haired dogs, and they were all trained to... They, they raised their own pheasants at this place, and the dogs would sniff them out. And they'd go, we'd sit out there, have a cup of coffee in the morning. They'd put the pheasants out all over the big uh, wooded area and the open area in the farm fields. And then they'd take the dogs. We usually had a, a one dog and a leader to go out with us and my dad. And sometimes even my grandfather was up from Texas, and we'd go pheasant hunting. And when we went pheasant hunting... Um, If you know anything about hunting, you go deer hunting uh, with a rifle, Um, but not pheasant hunting. Pheasant hunting, you hunt with a shotgun. And my dad was a gun collector of all sorts, um, mostly for show, some for hunting. But one of his favorites, if not his favorite, was his double-barrel shotgun. Now, when I first started out, my dad gave me a single uh, barrel shotgun, and then I got a side-by-side, which the barrels are two side-by-side, and then, but his was over and under, where the barrels were one on top of one another, and it was a really, it really was a beautiful gun, and, and he always told me, it's important that you have a double-barrel shotgun, and, and he said for two reasons, and through my experiences of hunting, I found it to be true. You needed two barrels, <laughs> because sometimes the birds, when the dogs sniff, and then they, they put them up, that they'll fly real low, uh, close to the ground till they get really far away from you and then they'll go up in the air. I don't know it's because I don't think it's because they know any better, but I think that's just the way some of them buy, and especially happens when it's a quail, if you're shooting quail. The second reason was and, and, and by the way, the reason why you had to have two barrels is because when they do that, it's very hard to hit them clo- low to the ground because you're also afraid of shooting you know, you're turning your barrel to someone who might be next to you and they're that close. Usually when you go like this, you're out of the way of anybody next to you. So it does make it a little more scary that way. And it's harder to hit them when they're low to the ground like that. So it's easier if they get right up in the air and go straight up. It's a lot easier. And so sometimes you need the second barrel because the first one you're missing. And as they get out further away, higher, then you're able to hit them better. But secondly, it's because, and I've only had it happen a few times, you need two barrels because sometimes the dog doesn't realize it, but there are two pheasant in the same place. Right next to each other. So when you put one of them up, sometimes you put a second one up. And so when you go up to shoot, you may have to shoot one here and then shoot over there. But you'll need both those barrels. I've only had it happen maybe a double, it's called. I mean, I only had that happen a couple, three times in my life. And if you're wondering, no, I didn't shoot them both. I wasn't that good. Um, but both barrels, if you really wanted to be good, you want to make sure you got what you're looking for, When you were hunting quail, you had to have, it was necessary to have both barrels. I I want you to have that little picture in your mind tonight because I think the principle is true the same when it comes to fiery furnaces and fiery trials tonight. I want you to get this in mind. You need a double barrel faith. And and I'm going to explain what I really mean by that. You're going to need two barrels when you fight furnaces, when you face furnaces. When you go through fiery trials... Um, it's going to be important that you have both barrels and you hold on to both of them and be willing to use both of them when necessary. And I'm going to explain that to you. Our passage is about a fiery trial. Now, in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Beno's case, it was a literal fiery furnace. Um, later on, and during the uh, prophecy, Isaiah in chapter 48, verse 10, says of Babylonian captivity, God says of the Babylonians in Uh, The Israelites in exile to Babylon. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So, of course, there is a literal fiery furnace, i.e. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And also there's a metaphorical one, the furnace of affliction. When you are suffering, Um, in their case, because they worship God and refuse not to, uh, fiery furnaces are mentioned or fiery trials in 1 Peter and other places in the New Testament. We all face them, and I would say uh, a fiery furnace might be an apt description for some of the things that people are going through right now in their lives. So whether it's literal, which isn't our case, or whether it's metaphorical, which in our case it is, we're going to need to get a hold of these two barrels, double barrel faith, in order to respond correctly to them. Now, I want to show you um, what Nebuchadnezzar does, and that's verse 15. And and I want to see because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer is the same structure and form as his first uh, ultimatum. So, basically, I'm going to say this: Nebuchadnezzar is going to give them an ultimatum, and then they're going to respond in kind back to him with the same kind of language. So, let me show it to you. Let me set it up for you. Verse three, chapter three, and verse fifteen. It is a if, but if not statement. Okay, both of these segments have it. Nebuchadnezzar uses it. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego use it. Let me show you the ultimatum. An ultimatum is a a final demand or statement of terms. That is what the definition of an ultimatum is. It's it's your final chance. In other words, your parents might have said, do this or else. (laughs) Or you're going to suffer the consequences, basically. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell them. He's given them one more chance. And here in verse 15 he says, and this is his if-if-not statement. He says in verse 15... I can find it here. He says, now, first part, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, so if you, if, when you hear the music, if you hear the music, and when you do, and if you bow down, here's the result. Well and good. So here's the first option, because ultimatums always have two options. You can do this consequence, or you can do this consequence, okay? So here's the first part. If you are ready, and you hear the music, fall down, worship the image, it's all good. We're going to forget the fact that you didn't do it the first few times. All right? But, he says, verse 16, here's the other side, the dark side, right? But if you do not, see it? If and if you do not. If you do not worship, if if you don't fall down and give worship to the image, you're going to be literally thrown alive, cast into a burning fiery furnace. So here's the ultimatum. If, then there will be a consequence. If not, then there will be a consequence. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell them you have two options. Now this kind of structure, just to give you examples, is used repeatedly through the Old Testament. Cain was told by God... Same structure, chapter 4 and verse 7 of Genesis. If you do well, in other words, if you offer the offering I've asked you to, if you do well, it'll be accepted. But if you do not, sin lurks at the door. So that, see, God give, here's Cain, you have two options. If consequences, if you do not. Moses comes to God, and God wants to wipe out the Israelites because when they, he was absent from them on the mountain, they made a golden calf, and another, another worship issue, they worshiped a false god. And Moses says in Exodus 32, 32, if you will forgive them, forgive their sin, then good. But if not, blot my name out of your book. So here's Moses is so serious. God, if you'll forgive them, fantastic. But if you don't, then just take it out on me, basically, he's saying. Boaz does the same thing when he's talking to Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, listen, if you're really your closest kinsman redeemer, if he will fulfill the rights or the obligations he has, and that's okay then. But if not, then you come back to me, then I'll be willing to fulfill them and take care of you. Samuel says to the nation of Israel when they want a king, 1 Samuel 12, 14, If you obey the voice of God, then it will go well with you. But if you do not, he says, then he's going to bring judgment on you like he does all the other nations. So this if-if-not kind of structure, framework, is commonly used. It's two options. It's an ultimatum. It's the last kind of statement that you make. Either do this or this, and this is all that you're getting. And that's what happens in this case. Now, when I was growing up, my mom did it. My dad worked, my mom never did. And so she was home and I'd have chores and responsibilities. And one of them was to mow the yard. And I hated mowing the yard. And so I would put it off and I put it off. And I should mow it in the morning because it was cooler, but I'd rather play in the morning it was cooler. So I was probably like 12 years old. And my dad said mow the yard. My mom had to enforce it because he was at work. And so my mom would say about 3 in the afternoon. When my dad would be home around 5 or 5.30. She would come out and make it known to me. If you obey what you've been asked to do. Then everything will be okay. She would say that but if not. And then my mom would get serious. Now my mom was pretty serious all the time. But when you were in trouble She was really serious. So she would say, if you do this, like your dad said, you're okay. But if not, here's what she'd say. I will call your father on the phone as soon as I walk into the house. And if I tell him that and he has to come home, you can deal with him. Now, see, that was my mom's ultimatum. I mean, that was her if. If you want to live, do this. If not, go ahead if you have a death wish, right? So I would immediately be scared out of my mind, and I would go mow the yard. So, Seriously, though, are you ready to face the Babylonian ultimatums of the world around us now? Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. The world will say to you, if you are willing to go along with the boss at your job, see, if you'll be willing to cut some corners if you'll be willing to be one of the guys on the business trips, if you're willing to kind of look the other way at sexual harassment that takes place by people in charge, then, see, you can get promoted. You could go higher up in the company, and certainly you'll be able to keep your job. But if not, see, the world says, but if not then you're never going to make it here. And I doubt that you'll still have a job here much longer. See, the world's going to give ultimatums if you do the right thing. If you worship God, if you put Him first, see, the if or the if not is right there. And some of you face it on a regular job time every day, almost, at your job. If you act like everyone else at your school. See, if you listen to the world's music, party on the weekends, don't take God or religion too seriously as a teenager see then you can fit in at our school see then we'll accept you into the group of people that will make you popular but if not (laughs) the ultimatum is you're never going to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend you'll be isolated you'll be alone you'll never be as popular as you want to be and in fact you could get bullied picked on or even worse If you keep your religious beliefs to yourself, if you keep them private and you don't try to, come on, don't try to convert people to what you think some Bible says. If you don't say anything or do anything that is intolerant based on the overwhelming majority in our society of others, then you can fit into our society. But if not, see, you could be ridiculed, you could be ostracized, you could definitely be marginalized. It'll hurt your career, it could hurt you even more or worse in the long run. See, the Babylonians have a both-barrel approach, too. They have an if and they have an if-not. As Christians in the day in which we live, and it may be soon becoming worse, far worse than we ever could have imagined... We need to have a Bible-both-barrel approach. And that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. And in this context, the question at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's both-barrel approach is this. And who is the God? In other words, he's basically saying there is no God. So I, I know who you think you worship. I know you think your God is all that. But he says, and who is the God, keyword who will circulate, circle it, who will deliver you out of my hands, verse 15. The word deliver is what God does when he brings his people out of exile. Daniel's book was written to people who were under the thumb of an oppressor, people who were in exile. And the reason they were in exile to begin with was because they worshiped false gods and they did not stay loyal to the one true God. That's why they were in this predicament. People in the first century, in Jesus' time, looking back, reading Daniel, were in the the same predicament. So can I tell you tonight, who can deliver? What kind of God is it? Well, the word deliver, three times in our text, two more times in verses 28 and 29 at the end of the chapter, five times, because here's what Daniel's message in this chapter is preaching. That there is a God, no matter what Nebuchadnezzar says, No matter what ultimatum he gives you, no matter how much he downplays the power of your God, he's wrong. Because there is a God, not a Babylonian God, but an Israelite God, the true God that can deliver. As Christians, in our time, in this situation Here's a truth, a double barrel truth that we need to know to be strong in our faith. Our God is the God who delivers his people, who faithfully worship him, even if it means from a fiery furnace. But the question we want to entertain in the last number of minutes tonight we have together, which is absolutely crucial, is what kind of God is our deliverer? That's what the Israelites needed to know. And that's what Christians in the 21st century in America need to know, and probably at this time around the world, what kind of God is our deliverer? There are two key characteristics, both barrels, about who God is and what kind of God he is who delivers, and we, can I tell you, please, we have to hold on to both of these, both of these, and so let me give them to you and unpack them one at a time. Realizing the whole time I'm talking that it's not one or the other, it's both, because we will need both of them at different times. First, what kind of deliverer, what kind of God is our deliverer? Our deliverer is a supremely powerful God. Let me say it again. Our deliverer is the supremely powerful God. Look at verse 16. Nebuchadnezzar gives them the ultimatum, and listen to this. They are ready for it. This is what we need in our families, in our teenagers, and in your life and in mine as a church. We Here's what they say. We don't have to think about it, verse 16. We don't have to pray about it. We don't have to give some serious deliberation. They didn't ask to say, hey, let us mull it over for a night and we'll get back to you in the morning. They didn't ha- no, they were ready for it. I'm, su- I'm supposing that as soon as the image was built, that they knew how they would respond. They must have talked about it, planned about it. that was when they were praying about it. But when the time came that they were confronted about whose God was really more powerful, they already knew the answer. See, they have an if-if-not construction of their own to reply back to Nebuchadnezzar. And you've got to understand, when they do that, you're talking about the guy who has all power on the earth. This is the number one world power king of the quote-unquote universe of the time on earth. So they give him back their final statement. They give him back their ultimatum. And look what they do. Two barrels. Ready? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, O Nebuchadnezzar, We don't have to hesitate. We already know what we're going to say to you. Ready? Here it is. Watch. If and if not statements. If this be so, what you say, our God, whom we serve, underline it, is able to deliver us. He is able. Remember what you said, Nebuchadnezzar? There is no God who's able. You're wrong. Because our God is more powerful than all the Babylonian deities. Our God is more powerful even than you, Nebuchadnezzar. They're not saying that directly, but in their statement they are. Because you and your God were linked together. So they're saying defiantly, really, with great resistance in front of the king, who immediately can throw them, and does, into the fiery furnace. You You know who our deliverer is? Our God's key trait is he is supremely powerful. As little kids... When I was growing up, my, I asked my daughter at dinner tonight. She doesn't know this song. I failed as a parent. Not really. Um, He's able. Remember that song? You used to sing it. He's able. Okay, I won't sing it. Um, he healed the brokenhearted. Remember? He set the captive free. He made the lame to walk again. And he caused the blind to see. What? Why does the song have those words in it? Because those are evidences that Jesus showed that he had supreme power. He had supreme power over blindness and lameness and death. He, He could do all those things. Why? Because he had supreme power. And the point of the passage is, listen, what kind of deliverer is our God? A supremely powerful one. More powerful than all the Babylonian gods. More powerful than Nebuchadnezzar. And how did these guys know that? Because they knew the Bible, number one, and they knew all the stories of the Old Testament leading up to their time. And they had already seen in chapter one, however, in a small or insignificant way, is that God could help them eat the right foods in such a way that they were ten times better in appearance than anybody else. They saw, even in their own context, in a small way, comparatively, that their God had power in any realm to do anything that they needed him do. Can I tell you, listen, you need to get a hold of that first barrel in the situation that we're facing. We serve a deliverer, the God who is supremely powerful, which means he has no limitations. He has no categories of easy and hard. It's not that, oh my When the fiery furnace was first put out there, and you were going to throw it, but then when he stoked it seven times, you know, now I'm not sure that's not that's not our God. You could you could do it seven times, seventy times hotter. It doesn't because God has no categories. Everything is easy for Him. It's not hard for Him. So who can deliver? What God can deliver like this? Well, Nebuchadnezzar had to learn a lesson that already Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego already knew. And you can see it. He does learn. Look at this. Verses 28 and 29. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, he's saying, hey, your God's nothing. And now by the end of the story, he's saying, wow, your God is everything. I mean, what a flip that is. Why? Because in your circumstance, God demonstrated that he was supremely powerful. He says, who sent his angel, and there's the word again, he delivered his servants, so yes, God has the ability to deliver. He can even deliver from the worst fiery furnaces that we face. Why? Because he's supremely powerful. How supremely powerful? Verse 29. For the, now, He said, remember there was no other God? And now he's saying the complete opposite. For there is no other God, circle it, who is able. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Our God's able, but now Nebuchadnezzar says it. There's no other God, including all the Babylonians. One Nebuchadnezzar considered himself that. There's no other God who was able to deliver in this way. Our God is supremely powerful. There is none that can compare to him. He is unequal, unrivaled, unmatched, unparalleled in power. Now, in the text, specifically, what kind of supreme power? Well, the supreme power to protect his people in the furnace. I looked it up today. Do you know if you want to buy a safe or a vault that you want to store precious documents in, or documents in or things that you value highly, you need to get one that is fireproof rated. Now, if it has this little thing called the UL mark on it, you'll know that it's legitimate. UL means underwriter laboratories. In other words, people who have been given money to research and prove and do experiments about how solid and fireproof these safes or these vaults are. And if it has that little mark on it, it'll give you a number and tell you what heat level that it can go to and how many hours it can sustain that kind of fireproof environment for whatever you're trying to protect. My pastor, when I was growing up way back, way back in the day, in the 70s, our church was arsoned and burned down by a Satanist. And when you walked into the area in the back of the church building where my pastor's office was, there was nothing left of his office. Everything had been burned to the floor except his fireproof cabinet. He had a fireproof cabinet, and he had the history documents of the church, and he had all of his sermons from all the years that he had been there. That was the only thing out of the whole church office area that was saved. You know why? Because it was fireproof. Now, can I tell you this? God is so powerful that he can fireproof his people in an unparalleled way. If you could say UL, unique Lord, or something on it, that would just indicate when he puts his mark on you. See, and how great is his fire rating? Can I tell you this? Listen to the verse. He says, and the hair of their heads were not singed. Verse 25. 30, I think another verse says, verse 27, the fire had no power on them. And then he explains what that is. The hair on their heads were not singed. Not only was their hair not burned, it wasn't even burned on the very ends of it. Their cloaks were not harmed. Their clothes weren't burned. Not their socks. They didn't wear those. Whatever they were wearing, their pants, their shoes, whatever they had on back then. No smell a fire was even on them. Not only does it not look like they were touched by fire, but they didn't even smell like they had been in the fire. I mean, look at that. No power, no singe, no harm, no smell. That is the highest fireproof rating that you can possibly get. Why? Because that's our God. The God that delivers us is a supremely powerful God, which, by the way, means this. COVID-19, no match for him. Cancer, no match for him. Financial loss, job unemployment, the need of salvation in the people that you love and that you know, God is supremely powerful. There is no difficulty. There is no problem. There is no trial that he cannot fix or help you face. God is able He is able to deliver you from any fiery furnace. But there's two barrels, remember? So here's the first thing. Hold on to this. God is able. And you need to know that. Because when you do, you'll trust him when you face fiery furnaces. Right? You'll know that your God is able. He has that power. But what if, ready? What if God chooses the second option What if his purposes do not include delivering you from the furnace, but rather through the furnace or in the furnace? See, that's why you need both barrels. You you have to be able to say, in the if situations, you have to say this, he is able. Hear me. But in the but if not situations, you have to say he is worthy. See that? Verse 18, not only is our God, the one who delivers us, supremely powerful, he is supremely preeminent. And that means he is above all, above all gods, all, he is more precious, more be desired. He is to be placed above everyone and everything in our life. And here's what they do, their decision, not knowing the outcome of worshiping God instead of Nebuchadnezzar's image, they don't know the outcome, so here's what they say. But if not, verse 18, see it? But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Do you understand what they're saying? Even if God doesn't use his power to help us escape the fire, we still say no. You know why? Because our God is not only supremely powerful, he's supremely preeminent. He is the most important person and thing in our lives. And he doesn't have to rescue us for us to stay faithful to him. So I would say tonight, our deliverance is not only from the most powerful God, but the most preeminent God. And that is why at the end of this chapter, and then kicking it off all the way through chapter, the next chapter, and the next chapter, and in chapter seven, here's what Nebuchadnezzar cannot stop saying, the most high God. Verse 26, he says it, I'm sorry, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God. Not only most powerful, listen, you need that You need to know, first barrel, most powerful, he is able. But when he doesn't do what you think he ought to do or what you would like him to do in your fiery furnace, you know, how do you stay faithful to him in that situation? If not situations, you have to say, God, you are most high, and I still worship you no matter what the outcome. Because not only are you able, you are worthy of all my sacrifice. Thirteen times in the next few chapters, God is called the most high God. So what happens in your life when God decides not to deliver you from the furnace but deliver you through the furnace? What if God chooses not to use his power to help you to escape but rather to endure the fiery trial that you're facing? You know, another place in scripture in the New Testament, this episode of faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is also recorded for us with a single little sentence in Hebrews 11.34. It mentions Gideon and Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and the exploits of great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament and not mentioning by name but by a description of the event. It says, and these by faith stopped the mouths of lions, i.e. Daniel. And then 11.34 says, and quenched the power of fire. That's these three men. They stopped the power of fire. God did that. And we know what that meant. He was so powerful. But listen, two verses later, a whole nother group of people are introduced. And the verses 36 to the end of this chapter, chapter 11, starts with this little word, others. Because there were others who faced the if not statement. See, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, all the great prophets and heroes. You know, we we like those stories because God showed his power in the if times. And he showed up and he delivered them from the difficulties they faced. These three included. But a whole slew of people who had equal faith as they did were in if not situations. And the Bible says they were suffered, they were chained, they were imprisoned. Some of them were sawn in two Some of them were martyred and killed in horrific, torturous ways. And God didn't bring them out of the fire. He met them in the fire. See, there are two groups. There are two traits. There are two barrels we have to have as we face furnaces. When we're delivered from them, we have to trust Him. When we're delivered in them and through them, we have to treasure Him. See, we have to treasure Him as the most significant person. So if and if not, we have to have both of them in our arsenal. Probably the best example of this I could think of, now that we've just come off of Easter, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going through and facing the most fierce fiery furnace possible, burden, shouldering the burden of the sin of all mankind. He's on his knees, agonizing, dripping from his forehead as it were great drops of blood. And the Bible says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. But if not, your will be done, not mine. See, Jesus says there's an if time, and I trust you. If it's possible, I trust you. You have the ability to take this cup. I don't want to drink this cup of suffering. But if not, I want you to know I will, because I don't just trust you, I treasure you supremely. You are preeminent. You are first and foremost in my life. Those three words, I would say, have to be three of the most difficult words to ever say to God or anyone. But if not. What about the prayer, Father, I know you're able to deliver From COVID-19. And you will deliver me one way or the other. But if not, I will worship you supremely anyways. Why? Because you're worthy. See, he is able and he is worthy. God is glorified both when we trust his power and we treasure his worth. When he chooses not to use his power to help us escape, but rather we treasure him enough to endure it. God is glorified when we use both barrels against the furnace. The furnace has no power over those who both trust and treasure him supremely. So let me tell you, trust him when you face the COVID-19 virus and treasure him if you get the COVID-19 virus. Trust him when you face the possibility of job setback, cutback, or cut off. And treasure him when you lose them all indefinitely. Trust him when you need to say in the face of a furnace, if. Trust him and say, I know you're able, but when you face the if not, tell him I also treasure you supremely. So what kind of God is our Deliverer? The one that is supremely powerful. The one that is supremely preeminent. And lastly, the one that is supremely personal. I love the fact, if you read the end of the story, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called out of the fiery furnace, but the fourth man, Jesus, stayed. He stayed in the furnace. You see, Jesus not only took the if-but and treasured God all the way through Gethsemane, but he did it all the way to the cross. What kind of God is our God? He's right there in our furnace with us. Eight times in chapter 3 it says, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the fire, because that's where Jesus meets us. We do not have a God, an impersonal God, who holds all off and cheers us on from a distance. No, he enters the flame, the seven times hotter flames, And he delivers us, sometimes from it and sometimes through it and sometimes in it. What kind of God is he? The God that stayed in the fire when he knew that we could not. Why? Because worthy is the lamb that was slain. So what do you need to face fiery furnaces? Your fiery furnaces, the furnaces right now that you are experiencing, you need two things, both barrels. You need to say, if situations, I say, God, you are able. And then the if not situations, I say, you are worthy. And if you don't do the powerful thing I think you should or I would like you to, God, I still am faithfully worshiping you and loving you because you are worthy, worthy of all of my worship. I want to close tonight with a song. We're going to play it. It's a newer song, maybe a couple years or so old by a group called Mercy Me perfectly with the words depicts this scenario tonight. I hope it will strengthen your faith and encourage you to use both barrels against the fiery furnaces you face. The title of it is Even If. They say sometimes you win some Sometimes you lose some Right now Right now I'm losing bed stood on this stage Night after night Reminding the broken It'll be alright But right now Oh right now I just can't It's easy to sing say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God will Let's close in prayer together. Hmm. Father, we trust you. We know you're able. We know you can. Supremely powerful. Nothing too hard. Nothing impossible for our God. And We pray that you might see fit to use your power in that way if it would bring you glory. But if not, even if you don't, We believe that you're worthy. You are the most high God. And you deserve all of our worship. So God, make us faithful. Make us strong enough to have a double-barrel faith so that you might get the glory and people might see your infinite value and worth. For it's in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Lord bless.